0: This is the State of Things. I'm Frank Stasio, the soon-to-be-retired host of this show, and I'm spending my last few days in this role, listening back to some of the more memorable conversations from the last 15 years. Today, we'll hear a conversation with saxophone master and Durham resident Branford Marsalis. Branford has never shied away from a challenge when it comes to tackling music. Back in 2008, the jazz legend decided to incorporate his sax into the classical music traditions of South America in a show called Marsalis Brasilianos. The series was an homage to Heitor Villalobos, lobos perhaps the most famous classical composer to hail from Brazil. Villa-Lobos drew his influence from the folk music of his native Brazil and traditional European style that sounds like this. I had the honor and pleasure of talking to Brantford many times on The State of Things, and honestly, I could have chosen any one of those shows to be among my favorites. In this conversation, Brantford Marcellus once again demonstrates his versatility and his creative understanding of cultural influence. I began by asking him to tell us more about Villa Lobos.
1: Well, I think it's one of the interesting dynamics of, of uh, I guess for lack of a better term, the new world, is that... Uh, the new world was colonized by the old world, and we have old uh, world influences that we see, uh, some that we don't even pay attention to, like uh, something like hundreds of thousands of different types of flora, if not millions, were just mm. eviscerated when the, when the European grasses were brought in and the flowers brought, were brought in. And uh, there are American composers who compose in classical music, and Brazilian composers, and Chilean composers. And uh, Hator was just one of the—he uh, was the, one of the better ones. He was one of the better ones, and he made a decision. I, I, I think that there was always this, because you you find it also in jazz, particularly from from the the the, 20, the early twentieth century, even the mid twentieth century. There's this 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 uh, unhealthy obsession with newness and originality mm-hmm. and individuality, and how do I differentiate myself? Uh, as though this is something that you can control on manufacturing, it really isn't. But I think that uh, one of the things that Haytor that decided to do is say, well, I can be unique by incorporating elements of the, the traditional musics of Brazil, along with my, my uh, very large understanding of, of the, uh, the, the European vocabulary. What the, what that
0: suggests is certainly that there was an audience for european music in brazil when he was writing and also an audience for folk music so those two worlds existed uh... what happened was he able to develop an audience for his music
1: well i i think that because he was one of the few that got any kind of international recognition uh... in a country like brazil uh, to get recognition in europe was, was very significant particularly uh... in the early twentieth century mm. and uh, folk music has always been more popular than classical music, even in Europe. I mean, that, 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 that hasn't changed. It hasn't, that dynamic hasn't changed right. to this day, but, uh, it was just his, his love of life and, and along with his, his partner, uh, his, his comrade, uh, Darius Mio from France, who was one of these musicians who traveled to New York and spent time hanging in the jazz club. And whereas, uh, other composers would make the mistake of trying to meticulously recreate jazz rhythm. He focused on jazz sound hmm. and wrote a piece called La Création du Monde which was a masterpiece. Uh it's a, it's a marvelous chamber piece. Uh in terms of sonic sound it sounds the way a, a, a traditional New Orleans band which was very popular in the 20s at that time. It sounds the way they would sound. Uh not necessarily in rhythm but in tone in tone. in tone quality. And I I think that uh Vila Lobos's ability to, to to incorporate those elements and make them work was something that was that uh, endeared him to to Brazilians.
0: Well, tell us a little bit more about, about folk music uh, in Brazil, because that in itself was a fusion and a hybrid.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, all American, all all, all American musics, South American musics. Uh, they all have a a, a combination of of three things, the the indigenous sounds of the people who were there, Mm. the European sounds and the African sounds. And the most amazing thing about the African contingent is that it seems like uh, it was so sensitive to environment that wherever it went, the music changed. Because you're basically talking about a group of people who came from the same general area, Western Africa, but you bring them to american you get jazz and blues you bring them to uh uh puerto rico you get soca and my you know dominican republic you get merengue you know puerto rico mm-hmm. get salsa afro cuban music and song tradition, you get all these different sounds in in the french caribbean you get zouk so it's it's amazing when you in 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 brazil you get uh uh the early uh uh the early forms of samba then there's like a traditional brazilian sound that's percussion heavy uh Samba, uh, and then there's uh, the bossa nova, where the rhythm is more implied. It's implied in the melody, and mm. it's implied in the, in, the, in the way the chords are played. It's not so overtly rhythmic as samba You it's, don't need the
0: percussion to make, it, to, to make you know what the rhythm is.
1: Well, it's, it's muted. It's, it's, mm. th- there is percussion, but it's not. Uh, in samba, the music is driven by the drums. It's driven by the beat. And they have great melodies on the top. But it's that you know but in, in samba when the, the for, I mean in bossa nova, for instance, the guitar plays the melody. So instead of playing a regular guitar, play we'd be like a ting ting ching 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 And the piano would come in, and the drummer had a part, but it was usually muted, played mm-hmm. with brushes. It was not played so uh, stick or stick heavy and stick oriented. So in in uh, in, in bossa nova, the idea of rhythm. Uh, was still impl- incorporated, but it changed. You know, it, it transmogrified into something a lot more subtle, but still necessary. You have to have an understanding of rhythm to play bossa nova well. And when you don't, is when you hear those bands and they always play every song going tick, tech, tech Tech, 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 because they don't really understand <laughs> right. the subtlety of it.
0: Right. They've got to do it with the melodic instruments as well. Well, let's hear what happens when that Brazilian folk music is fused with European classical music in a recording that you did of Ator Villalobos, uh, one of his pieces in 1990. This is Bachianas Brasileiras mm-hmm. or something like that. Brasileiras. Yeah, yeah, thank you. What was it that originally drew you to this music?
1: Melody. Uh, When I was approached to do that record, it was 25 years ago, and the producer heard me, uh, the the executive producer of uh, Sony Classical, which was then called CBS Masterworks, was working with Linton, with my brother, Mm. and uh, he was doing these great classical records, and she heard me play the soprano and say, man, you play that so beautifully. Have you ever thought about doing a classical record? I said, well, no, because I can't, because I don't really have the kind of technique I don't have the, the technical mastery that's required to actually play one. And she said, well, what about a melodies record? I said, well, I can kill a whole note, so yeah, I can, <laughs> I can do a melodies record. That I can do. So uh, I was listening to all this music, uh, that I wasn't exposed to before, saying you know, pick the songs you like, and I always gravitate toward the songs with the strongest melodic content.
0: Well, how would that differ? You talked about the the need for some kind of other technical virtuosity than you believe you had in mm-hmm. in a straight, say, classical piece, but there mm-hmm. are melodies in that. So for the the untrained like me, I'm thinking a melody's a melody. What's different?
1: No, you you if you if you heard them juxtaposed one another, you'd know the difference. For instance, that piece, uh, the the he has several. Uh, Bachianas Brasileiras, in the, in the, the, it, it uh, he loved Bach, and it is his tribute to Bach uh, fused with uh, melodies from his homeland. Mm. And in this particular one, the original was for soprano voice and eight cellos. So in order to have a, a sound that blends with eight cellos, you have to be able to uh, uh, develop a tone that can be very, very delicate and very gentle.
0: Now, you did this, uh, as you said, 25 years ago. Yeah. Uh, How is your approach to this? Has it changed at all?
1: Oh, completely, because I can play delicately now. Uh, Back then, I could just play, you know, Western Western popular music, including jazz. Uh, Everybody just plays loud all the time. So there's never a requirement to play soft. And in that situation, because the orchestra was so big and the arrangement wasn't, uh, they weren't really trying to play the arrangement with the original intent in mind. It kind of masks mm. my ability, my lack of ability. It masks my lack of ability in that in that realm.
0: So, so then, does that affect your jazz playing once you learn that technique and can master? No, the loud because soft? You,
1: you never you never forget how to play loud. So yeah. no, I mean I can. But what it what it has done for for the entire group is we play with a lot more dynamic range mm. than we used to. The early records were just loud, and you can hear it. And then now, when the even in the loud songs, sometimes we'll make. Uh, uh, dynamic shifts you know for, for, for people who don't know music talk I just mean uh, dynamics is basically the uh, the range between soft and loud yeah. we play we incorporate a lot of soft elements in even the loudest songs now
0: but that can bring a lot more emotion I mean that the, the, the piano the the original forte piano loud soft right, right was invented just to bring more passion and, and
1: uh, well it, it brings more variety because even the most in the most passionate musician uh, unit dimension brings a, a certain level of monotony mm. that people in pop culture would call consistency because it all <laughs> yeah. sounds the same, yeah. which I just call mind-numbing repetition. And uh, it it really opened the door to us in ways that we could make our music more interesting for people who weren't specifically jazz fans.
0: We're listening to my conversation with Brantford Marsalis, a conversation we had back in 2008 when he launched his Marsalis Brasilianos tour, one of the many shows that stick out in my mind as I prepare to retire from hosting. Our conversation continues on The State of Things from North Carolina Public Radio, a broadcast service of the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Please stay with us. This is The State of Things, broadcasting from the American Tobacco Historic District. I'm Frank Stashow, remembering a conversation with Grammy Award-winning saxophonist Brantford Marsalis. He is well-known as a jazz artist who is always exploring new outlets. When I spoke with him in 2008, he had just undertaken an innovative exploration of Brazilian folk and classical music. The show was called Marsalis Brazilianos, and it paid homage to Villa Lobos, one of South America's most well-known composers. Before the break, Brantford mentioned a connection between Lobos and a French composer named Darius Mio. I asked him to tell me more.
1: Darius Mio was one of the uh, original composers. In, the, in France, they had Les Six. They were uh, six great composers, uh, you know, I probably can't remember them now, so I won't, uh.
0: Well, Darius Mio was at least Darius Mio was one <laughs> of the six, and I think
1: Eric Satie, uh, W. C. Ravel, uh, 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 would it have been Dubois, Max Dubois, I'm not sure, but he was one of the six, and he really traveled around the world, uh, and incorporating different elements of other cultures in, in the sound of his music uh, he was a cultural attaché to the French ambassador to Brazil and spent a lot of time in Sao Paulo and met, uh, there. And they spent a lot of time together. And then after that, uh, experience, he went back to Paris and Villa Lobos met him in Paris and they hung out and expressed their love for Stravinsky and got a chance to hear all these beautiful things. And uh, after after a while, you know, uh, Villa Lobos went home and brought those elements and those sounds into his music. That's
0: interesting because that's at a time a real uh, a time of turbulence and change for music itself. So mm-hmm. to think of these cultures coming together at a time when music is moving away from melody in a sense and moving more to tone right. uh, is, is is fascinating. Right. And and uh, Mio spent time in in Harlem as well, and you talked about that his connection with jazz.
1: Yeah, he spent. He, just, he heard a jazz band first in London and said, well, you know, I need to go to the source. So he went to, to, to New York and heard uh, a band in the 20s. And at that time, the sound would have been more like the way Louis Armstrong's bands played, uh, uh, really rooted in the, in the New Orleans style.
0: And you said that, that he did something interesting. Rather than try to recreate the rhythms of jazz, he tried to create the tone, and yeah. that's what he, he captured. Now, was anybody in the classical world paying attention to jazz at the time or was he oh, a lot of, of people few? were
1: paying attention a lot of people were paying attention, but they weren't sure how to approach it because it's the approach uh, so what, if you can find a lot of compositions where jazz suddenly pops in quote unquote jazz and it, it's in the variation of the 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 uh the dotted sixteenth and the thirty second note so all the red, whenever they would have the jazz party it would go da <sings> and i uh it was interesting that 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 uh uh Mio intuitively uh, saw the the problem with it, and the lack of success that that uh, that that ensued, or not not financial success, but musical success. And would and and, that have
0: been? You, you just noticed that you're just doing, you're just jamming in, you're shoehorning in something completely different. It's not textured, and it's not. Well, they're part trying. Of the theme? It's
1: just it just comes off corny yeah. because it sound it doesn't sound like jazz. Yeah. So his solution was let's avoid the rhythm and let's focus on the sound. Uh, and there's the, the, the creation du Monde is one of these pieces where uh, it, the, the alto saxophone takes the place of the viola, and it's a chamber group, about 12 musicians. And he has a lot of uh, American rhythms, like the one he heard in the old vaudeville shows, like at the end of the mm-hmm. thing, they play, and many more, which everybody knows from the, the right. Brunch Bunny cartoons, da 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 da. And he incorporated <laughs> that in, in a lot of them, but in the setting, you don't even hear it as that. Because it's not sitting on a dominant seventh chord, going really loud with a cymbal going Shh, at the end. <laughs> right. So the That's first it. time I heard the piece, I didn't even hear it, you know. And he just found a way to take all of these melodies, and and put them together at the end of the piece where it's like one big jam session, and everybody's going on their own yeah. playing, but it works. And it's, it's really composed. impressive.
0: Well, we have a little bit of this, and in fact, this is a composition of Darius Mio, La Création du Monde, and mm-hmm. but this is you uh, in this performance. Let's listen. Alfred is playing a bit of La Creation du Monde, the composition of Darius Mio, M-I-L-H-A-U-D, if you're mm-hmm. looking it up on uh, on the internet. And uh, tell us about that performance. When did you do that? Who were you working with?
1: I was working with the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra. It was about 10 years ago, and uh, it's really not a very good <laughs> performance on my part. Uh, What's wrong with it? Um, I was still didn't know how to play anything but loud mm. uh, because I, I didn't really have the... the the setup and the understanding of the music as well. Uh, it wasn't until a couple of years after I played that piece, I worked with a uh, a, a, a string quartet uh, hmm. for musicians, but they, they only worked together in the summer because they play with other orchestras, and some of them freelance. and every summer hmm. they'd get together and they'd work as a string quartet, and there was a piece by Adolf Bush, Busch, uh German uh, expat who lived in the States up in the Marlboro region and was a prominent uh, composer with uh, uh, Tanglewood. And at the first rehearsal, I heard the piece, I learned the piece, and at the first rehearsal, uh, they, they ran through the piece, and then they turned to each other and they said, well, who has the melody and where? And in my mind, I'm going, well, what do you mean? It's for saxophone and strings. I have the melody all the time. And then as they started to explain it, and I picked up the score, I realized I don't have the melody most times. And then it was like a complete... It's completely the opposite of the way that we think in jazz terms or in, in popular American terms. The lead instrument has the melody all the time. right? But in this situation, the melody is passed from instrument to instrument at various points of the piece. And that was something I was not cognizant of when we did that piece. So the saxophone is kind of extremely overbearing mm. in a lot of places where it should be out of the way. And, and to get
0: out of the way, that's when you have to learn to play soft, kind of almost fade yourself out as a cello might come in, pick it up, and go. Well,
1: you can, and, and I could have played soft then, but it would have been more of a technique that we use in jazz circles called subtoning, where the, the sound is softer because you kind of mute it mm-hmm. uh, using a, a lowering of the jaw, mm-hmm. and it's an airier sound. It has a lot more air in the tone when you do it, and it is softer. But it was not the same as taking the same setup and playing very loud and then playing very soft.
0: And a whole new technique. So now tonight you're playing with the full orchestra the Philharmonia uh, Brasileira. Brasiliera. It's a it? it's a
1: smaller chamber orchestra than the Orpheus is, though.
0: And how does so and how does that change things for you? Does
1: it? Well, it's it's more in line with we yeah. we are basically playing the piece not only in the original orchestration, but uh, uh, the conductor uh, uh, Gilles Jardim is a uh, is a, a Villa Lobos scholar, and in his research, he found the uh, stage setting as it was designed by Mio, where every musician should sit, and uh, we're, we're following faithfully the original stage plot. So, uh, of
0: course, that could change from place to place. I mean, if you plotted uh, musicians on a stage, that might have a lot to do with the room itself, right? No. Well, well yeah, but but do... but
1: still, we're going to stay true to the stage plot. You don't you don't just kind of like move the drum set around. It's too mm-hmm. complicated. To start moving stuff around. You can move chairs a lot easier than you can move instruments and musicians.
0: You were talking about something very interesting that I found interesting, and that is the the ability you're taking this on tour. So mm. you're playing several performances, and what you get to learn over the the course of that time versus, say, a guest shot with a Philharmonic or right. Orchestra, uh, is fascinating. Yep. tell us more about that.
1: Well, you get you have instant analysis when you if you. Often, Oftentimes when you play with a soloist with an orchestra, you get three shots at it. And in those three shots, you say, well, I think I did this wrong. I need to work on this. I need to work on this. And then I start playing jazz again. I'm playing other things. I'm not playing at all. I'm practicing at home. And it would never occur to me that it could be something as simple as a change over the size of the piece, mouthpiece or the size of the reed. It just wouldn't come up. It, you, it would never occur to me. And because I was playing three nights, four nights, five nights in a row, and I was practicing as well, you start eliminating, well, it's not practice because I'm practicing and I play it well here. But in this situation, I'm not, it sounds great off stage, but it sounds bad on stage. And Mm -hmm. then the next concert, you say, well, it sounds bad because I'm trying to play softer than the instrument can actually play. So what's the solution? And it could be read on mouthpiece. You go with the easier thing. Let's go with the mouthpiece first and keep everything else intact. And as soon as I got the new mouthpiece, the conductor says, "Man, it's blending great today. What'd you do?" And I went, "Wow, you know." The, and it was because I had the 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 opportunity to play the same show yeah. five, six, seven, eight times in a row.
0: But that speaks to something about because because a lot of musicians will will sort of make these forays into other music. They'll come out with one CD and then kind of move on. And and that's always interesting to push it. But I, what I hear you saying is, no, you're getting into this. You have to get in and get in deep and stay with it for a while.
1: Well, you know some. Oftentimes, people like to talk about my eclecticism as though it is like an ID badge or something. you know. And that's not why I do this stuff. The reason I do it is because it makes me better. Uh, I'm in situations where I have to think about what I'm doing in ways that I hadn't thought before. I have to play in situations that I hadn't thought of before. And uh, when I go back to playing jazz, I'm armed with more information. -hmm. That I didn't have before, and it makes all my music better all around. It makes my saxophone playing uh, better all around. Uh, Winton used to when 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 I one time when Winton was we were talking about jazz musicians because you know a lot of jazz musicians play very fast, they're very fluid on the instrument, Mm -hmm. and Winton said, "Now that guy, see, uh, he has great personal technique." And I said, "Well, man, technique is technique." He says, "No, it's not." He says, "He has great personal technique." He's practiced in a way that he can play these songs and play them very fast and very fluently. But if he was in a situation where he had to play in an orchestra or he had to play in a Broadway band, he would struggle because his technique is not universal enough. Hmm. If he was forced to play softer and play that same stuff at a softer piano, he would struggle
0: but but somebody could earn a reputation on that sell a lot of records and that that could be the or end, not the sell end a line.
1: lot of records just kind of put it in the resume to help them say yeah well i've yeah. done everything i played with a rock I band i play with a yeah. or... that's not why i've done any of that it's <laughs> it's not a matter of of, of uh yeah I, I don't you know i don't even talk about it really i don't i don't think it has any relevance uh other than how you're perceived by other people. So mm-hmm. people who like rock and roll above all other things like you, like would like me better than they like my brother because I played with Sting and went and didn't. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. Yeah, this is... But for me, it, it's all about having musical experiences that make you better in the end.
0: And it has. You've earned a reputation. It, does it make it easier to do that, to explore these other areas and take the time, quite honestly, because you have a reputation, one that you've earned, but now you can, you know people will uh, give you a break they're going to listen to your cd when
1: you no, some out. will some won't yeah some will some won't i mean it, it's it's th- that's not the purpose you know uh it's it's vulnerable to put yourself in that situation and it's a different way of thinking uh one of the things that i was able to do in playing with the same orchestra f- for, by the time we got to the 15th show i'd kind of conquered my nervousness that i get when i'm in these situations and that's what i needed to do is instead of playing uh you know a, a three nighter every six months I needed to play a pile of shows in a row. Do you like getting nervous? Do you like that feeling all over again? No, I, I don't, but I accept it. Yeah. I accept it that it's part of the process. Uh I like uh I like a little more being in control because you have so many variables going on here. Like uh when you're playing some of these pieces, it's easier to miss a couple of notes and you miss those couple of notes and then they bleed into another couple of notes and the next thing you know, you're basically a snowball rolling downhill in a negative way. Mm -hmm. And in other situations musically that I've been in, it's been a long time since jazz was able to do that to me and popular music was never able to do that to me. You're never really on that slippery slope because from from a musical standpoint, it, it's not a very difficult music to play.
0: Well, that's what, and so for a guy who, if you if if you're telling me the truth here, and you sort of don't like to get scared, you'd stay right there and wouldn't go off into these areas. That
1: yeah, well, I accept, I accept that not only being scared, but failure is is an essential part of the process. I accept that. Uh, I don't like it, but I don't get the kind of nerves, and never have gotten the kind of nerves where. Where where one would be you know standing over a, a trash can vomiting before a show, uh, when I was playing sometimes
0: in, in in the case of some musicians that's not nerves that's just what they've been drinking.
1: What is that too? <laughs> There's that too. Sorry, go ahead. No, that's but they they usually get up from the can with a smile on their face. You know, <laughs> you know. But uh, I, when we were, when I was playing with or- with Orpheus, one of the flute players said, you know, how do you overcome your, your nerves? I said I don't. She goes, yeah, but you're playing this music and I'm so I get so nervous when mm-hmm. I play. And I vomit when I'm a soloist. And I said, well, I know that I'm not musically ready to play this, but I'm in this situation and I'm going to get the most I can out of it. And if, uh, if, I, if I needed to benefit from more practice, it's a little too late now since we're here and I'm about to go mess up this music again tonight <laughs> and I just got to suck it up and bear, I got to yeah. grin and bear it. And it sounds like
0: you learn from your mistakes. I mean, you, all, you almost get excited about that. What could I take away from that? Yeah, it's,
1: a, it's, a, it's, it's some ways, sometimes that's the only way to really learn yeah. because you, we have all these, these uh, self-defense mechanisms where we, we, it's, it's more convenient to blame other people for, for, our, for our foibles. But the great thing about being on a stage in a classical setting is that you're out there and it's you messing it up and there is no one to blame. It's kind of like playing golf. Can't you blame the cellist or something? I mean, no chance. No. You're out there in front, messing up in front of everybody. <laughs> you know, it's just a beautiful thing. It's like you know, in, in golf, when you hit a ball and slice it into the woods. I mean, you can't blame the cameraman. We don't have any cameramen out there. It's just you <laughs> sucking. You know what I mean? It's just, and that's the, and you know, people yeah. try to blame the club and they try to blame. Me. Oh, I don't ordinarily play like this. You just hear all the excuses <laughs> rather than just right. saying, "Man, I stink." Right. You know, and, and kind of where do we go from that point? Yeah. I play bad. Where do we go from that point?
0: So you're here in North Carolina. You've been here a while. uh, And we're still counting the votes. Let me ask you about this election. How do you feel?
1: It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, I really like the idea that uh, I got the sense that uh, for the first time in a long time that the the American public was actually tuned into the information, that they weren't falling for, uh, for TV show rhetoric, you know, like, you know he's a socialist or you know the same the same policies as george bush all that kind of stuff that used to work in the old days you know he's an intellectual boo that mm-hmm. narrative didn't really wash across across the board i mean people like so many things have happened in our country in the last 12 years you know, eight years to be specific, but yeah. also less twelve that yeah. people are like maybe we need to pay attention. Maybe we need to sit down and really pay attention to what's going on. I mean, news ratings were sky high mm-hmm. and, and, and that was great to see people engaged and, and my only hope is that they continue to be engaged and that they don't stop watching the news. I don't say you have to watch it as much as, as people have obsessively done it, but you know, like split time between sitcoms and news now. Don't yeah. just lean on the sitcoms. As, uh, as Richard Dreyfus marvelously said a couple of years ago on uh, on Bill Maher's show, he said that uh, American citizens have abandoned their responsibilities as citizens in a republic. And when you inure yourself with, with rubbish, with TV shows and cartoons and there's a crisis, you turn to the first strong man and say, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And it was just one of those brilliant things. I was sitting there watching and he said it, and I went, whoa, <laughs> Republic, that's right, we are a Republic. It, and it just kind of changed the way, and I started telling all my friends and telling my students and people, said, we are citizens in a Republic and we have obligation, we have the obligation to to question the authority when they say things to make them justify what they say and not to take sides against or for just based on some some ridiculous ideology. Isn't it amazing though that
0: in an election where we could have had one very large distraction that would have taken us away from all the issues, uh, that that just never seemed to play a part and that the issues, as you said, we were paying attention both both in comedy, I think, in satire and and in the news.
1: Oh yeah, no, well, con- well, especially with the stuff with with between uh, John Stewart and Stephen Colbert bear. I mean, it started about five years ago. If you really wanted to get information, you just, you know, once you push through the cynicism, the raw data is right there for you to see. I mean, they would use quotes from actual quotes from people and they would use the quotes that the news would, the regular news for whatever reason chose not to use the quotes that they would find. But
0: how do you think we stayed focused when we could have been so easily
1: distracted? The stakes were too high. The stakes were just too high this time. People's uh, 401ks were blowing up. people that a lot of Americans travel, even though most Americans don't travel. And Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people uh, were dismayed by how Europe perceives us. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of businessmen realize that, uh, they now realize that the concept of a world economy is like, great, now we get to tell the world what to do. It's like, I think a lot of people did think that. Like, we can sell our goods, but now they're seeing the results of the backlash. I mean, you know, there are countries that used to buy American treasury bonds that are buying euros. Yeah, well, you're doing all sorts of things, and now we realize how important it is for us to get, you know, our our stature back internationally because it affects us monetarily.
0: Grammy Award-winning musician Branford Marsalis. As I said earlier, Branford agreed to come on the show many times, and it was always a pleasure to talk with him. North Carolina Public Radio is a broadcast service of the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I'm Frank Stashow.